0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, Astonished by Awesomeness. Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion from verse 18. This is how Jesus, God's anointed one, was born. His mother, Mary, had promised Joseph to be his wife. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiancé, Joseph, was a righteous man, full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break the engagement. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him in clear light and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife. Because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. And she will give birth to a son and you will name him Savior. For he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins.
1: One last scratch and we're on our way. One thing about Christmas is you can rely on it. It comes around
0: every year. When it gets to about October, you know the first signs start to emerge. Because you start going into department stores and you go into odd places. And all of a sudden, you walk in and there's a Christmas tree. In October. It used to start in early December. But the retail traders pulled it forward. So things begin to blossom and things begin to move when you get into October. And as you move along a little bit, so Christmas carols start to come onto the radio. And everybody has their own way that they do Christmas. That's why they call it a Christmas tradition. It's called a Christmas tradition because it's not something that you did this year for the first time. It's usually something that defines the way that you engage with Christmas. So for example, our family, there are a couple of things that we do that are Christmas traditions. One of the Christmas traditions that we do is we have Elf on the Shelf. It used to work really well when the kids were young because we had an entire 25 days of bliss and good behavior because John was on the shelf keeping an eye on everybody to make sure they were well behaved so that Santa would come. We have Advent calendars. And the thing about an advent calendar is as our kids have got older, so their taste has become more discerning and they don't want Hershey's trash. It's like fill it with something good. We want to be excited. We want something unexpected. We want to open each thing and now we'll get a chocolate and tomorrow we'll get candy. And the next day it might be a little gift of something. But we have advent calendars. And then when it gets closer to Christmas, we usually go out on Christmas Eve and we wake up early Actually, let me rephrase that. We are woken up early on Christmas morning while it's still black and the rooster hasn't crowed yet and no bird is flying around because it's time to open gifts. We call them Christmas traditions because they're things that come into play and they're things that characterize our Christmas experience annually. And the thing about Christmas traditions is that they are so predictable. The irony about a predictable Christmas is that it celebrates the holiday of a God who is totally unpredictable. You see, the thing about our God is he is not predictable. In fact, he will behave in ways that people least expect him to behave. And some of the ways in which his unpredictability comes into manifestation is so extreme that people would even label it controversial. You didn't think that the Messiah would be born in a stable. But he was. In fact, it was so controversial and it was so unpredictable that the shepherds got wind of it and the shepherds arrived to come and celebrate the moment. The kings from the east saw his star and they recognized what was happening and they journeyed in that direction because they were looking for the king because they were going to celebrate it. But who was conspicuously absent From the birth, the equivalent of the church. You didn't hear of any scribe or Pharisee or Sadducee there, did you? Why? Because he was so unpredictable, they missed it. They missed it. There are times that God does things that are unpredictable. Because we serve an unpredictable God. There are some times that God will do some things in our life and God may use some people that may even even be considered controversial. Why? Because God is not limited to our expectation of how he should behave. Because we're introduced to the reality that God's concept and the way that he lives and the way that he works and the way that he operates is so much larger and more expansive than where we are. We have a concept of who God is and we like to operate and we like to live in that concept because it offers us some definition and some way of getting to know this God. The problem with it is as long as we're living from that concept and we try to give definition to a God who lives outside of our concept, a God who is much more expansive than our concept, we always find ourselves at a place that we're serving a God that is unpredictable. He doesn't live within the boundaries That define our concept of who he is. So we're introduced to Joseph in the story. And Joseph has an issue. Because Joseph finds himself at a place where he's engaged to a woman called Mary. In their culture, engagement was not engagement like we have engagement. Engagement. In their culture, when you got engaged, it was a precursor to marriage. It was legal, and it was legally binding. And the only way that you could break off an engagement was that you had to have a divorce. It was like marriage. And so he was in a place where he had to consider very carefully what his options were and what he should do. Because if he was to divorce Mary, it would be something that would be very recognizable out in society. It would be very conspicuous, and he's sitting there, and Harry he is faced with the woman that he loves, and she's expecting, and she's come to him with a story. What he didn't understand was there was already a divine story in operation. You see, Mary had already met with the angel, and the angel had explained what the agenda was. The the angel had given her insight as to what it is that God is, was wanting to do, and the. Holy Spirit had come upon her and what ended up happening is that the word, that which was divine in nature, was conceived on the inside of her and the word took on flesh and was growing in her belly. What was growing on the inside of her was divine in nature but would evidence itself in the flesh. And when it evidenced itself, everything that we knew about God, everything that we understood about God, every concept that we had about God was about to be taken and elevated, was about to be catapulted to a whole new level of understanding. Jesus was going to do something and elevate our understanding of God and take it to a place that we had never known of before. My thoughts are not your thoughts and my thoughts ways are not your ways. We like to look at that and we like to think about it and it introduces us to the whole idea that maybe God is just mysterious and maybe God just does things in a way that is mysterious and I'm able, not able to comprehend and understand. Really what he's saying to us is, I'm speaking to you about the magnitude and I'm speaking to you about how expansive I am. What I'm saying to you is this, you have an idea and you have a definition as to who I am and it's contained in this little concept that you have of me. The challenge with it is, from your point of view, is that you have no understanding about the broader concept of who I am. You try to define something called God. The God who has no beginning and the God who has no end. There is no, begin, there is no start on this end and there is no end on that end. And he's sitting saying to us, as a result of that expansiveness, we're not open to a place where we can take him and we can sit and say, I have the corner on the God market. I get it. All of a sudden I have a revelation that's brought me to the place where I have all the knowledge that I know about that area of God. What he's saying to us is I'm much bigger and I'm much more expansive than anything that you can possibly imagine. We're introduced to a God who is more than enough it has implications for us and it has ramifications for us in terms of our journey and how we walk forward with him and how the story of our life is written. He is so much bigger than what we are. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the, as, the, as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. When it talks about grace and truth, it's talking about the descriptors of his glory. It's giving us definition as to what that's all about. When it speaks about grace and truth, really what we're talking about is we're talking about God's nature wrapped in love and favor operating on our behalf. God's love, God's uh, character wrapped in love and favor operating on our behalf. When we get to the place where we're trying to understand God's glory and we're trying to get a concept of it, it's really difficult for us to ever move into the place where we're able to give definition to it. We can't do that simply because we recognize the fact that I'm dealing with an ever-expansive God. When God says, I am the creator, by its very nature, creativity has no beginning and no end. You cannot be a creative person, but that's the expansiveness of your creativity. Creative means I continue to reinvent. I, cre- I continue to show myself and present my creativity in fresh and innovative and new ways. What God is saying to us is that we live in this place where we're trying to give definition to who he is. But it's not, not possible for us to reduce who he is to language simply because we do not have the ability and the capacity to fully understand who he is. And so what we do is we find ourselves at a place, because he is so much greater than my concept of him, I put myself in a place where I am more interested in having an experience and an encounter with him than moving to a place where I'm able to define who he is. You see, when you have an encounter with him, when you have an encounter with truth, truth will set you free. And what truth does is it sets and says, I understand the boundaries that you used to operate in. I understand the place that you used to have this concept of God, this place that you used to give definition to who you were and what God was all about. I understand that, but you're living in a limited expanse of who he was. And so what I want to do is I want to set you free and I want to move you beyond those boundaries and what they're all about so that you can move into freedom and experience him in a whole new way. The whole point about salvation is salvation should be something that is fresh and new, and it might even be something that is surprising to us. It may even be something that is surprising to us. You threw me off. You laughing? <laughs> um, what is it again? Where was I? The thing about truth is we have this idea about truth and we have the concept that, that truth is a concept. That if I either live my life in truth or I'm living myself outside of truth, I have this idea that truth is really a formula. There's almost like, okay, if I follow this formula, it's okay, I'm operating in truth. But if I find myself in a place where I'm limited, limited or inhibited, it's important for me to find the formula to be able to get myself out of that. It's like a roadmap. map. It's like, how do I move myself from this position of limitation to where God wants me to be and what the intention is? And I think what God is really saying to us is, I'm inviting you into an understanding that truth is not a formula and it's not a recipe and it's not a concept. Truth is a relationship. Truth is a relationship with him. And when we get into the place where it's a relationship, the very nature of relationship is the fact that it is dynamic. That it's interactive. That it's always having influence and changing. And I need that in my life. Because once I come to that place where I'm on a journey and I'm running my race with him. I'm going to encounter things in life that need my input. I'm going to encounter circumstances. I'm going to have some challenges. I'm going to have some people issues. Stuff that comes into my life. And when it comes into my life, I can't run and find the biblical formula for what I need to do. I need to be able to turn... To the living word. I need to be able to refer to relationship. And I need to be able to say to you. I need for you to make some input in my life. To where I am right now. I need you to do something in my life. Where I am right now. To take me out of this. And to put me into something new. It's the living word. That is so much more powerful. It says that. Joseph. Was a righteous man full of integrity. Joseph was a righteous man full of integrity. I think when you talk about righteousness, you're always talking about a spiritual condition. You're talking about where are you in relation to your relationship with God. It's saying that he had a good relationship with God. It was something that was significant and important in his life. And the result of that was that he was a person of integrity. What it means is the fruit of his life was integrity. It's who he was. And it says that Joseph was part of the lineage of David. That's where he came from. Where we come from is important to us. Where we come from becomes significant. Because where we come from has had the opportunity to make inputs into our life. And has made deposits into our life. Some of us come from backgrounds where we had no spiritual influence at all. And we we're at a place where we we're allowing God to make influence into our lives. Others have come from a, a background that is perhaps a little more fortunate, where you've had people, and you've had parents in particular, who were dedicated and had lived a committed life. And they understood their responsibility as a parent was to take and to seed your life with spiritual truth and to get you to the place that where, the, where you are. Never discount a spiritual heritage. A spiritual heritage is a very good thing. And a spiritual heritage has been something that has been very instrumental in our lives in getting us to where we are. There are different things that come into our past that form part of where we've been. Different elements and different inputs as our history through life that have combined and collectively formed and influenced our concept of who God is. There are times we've been to churches and we've heard an idea about what God is. We've mixed with different people and the world has formed and, 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 and influenced to some degree an idea about who this God is. All of us have had a history and that history to some degree has formed and had a part in influencing our concept of who God is. But the point is this. Our history and where we came from is all about the definition of what is predictable It's all what is certain in our lives. But God sits and says, You don't live from what is predictable. The invitation that He extends to us is to live from potential. Your potential is in your future. The challenge with so many people is that we like a life of predictability. Because when we have a life of predictability, what it means is, I can control what it looks like. A life of predictability offers us and introduces us to security. So we like to live and we try and get our lives established where we live from a place of predictability. What God invites us into is potential. If you want to move into God's potential, we have to come to a place where we recognize that my concept and the certainty that defines my current reality is limited in scope. And in order for me to move into what he has for me, there are going to come a, there's going to come a time in my life where my, I may have to step beyond those boundaries and let go of some of that stuff because I recognize the fact that I don't have full knowledge of understanding of who he is. And it puts me at a very different place. Joseph understood his lineage. And if we have a look at Joseph's life, particularly Jesus in his, in his early days, we understood that Joseph knew that God was the God who had been there for him. God was the God who had influenced his lineage. God was the God who had met with Moses. God was the God who had taken Israel and brought them out of Egypt. God was the God who gave the Ten Commandments. God was the God who had given, made covenant with Abraham. He understood Yahweh, Jehovah. And he had a respect and he had a reverence for Yahweh. And yet... In his wife's belly was growing Yeshua. He had a concept of who Almighty God was, and he had a concept as to how he should live his life with Almighty God. But he was about to be introduced to Yeshua, and Yeshua was going to take his concept of God to a whole new level and catapult it to a different place. You see, the thing about it is, Joseph had lived his life in relationship with a concept of God. He had been intimate with his concept of God. And now he was about to discover and come face to face with the reality that his concept of God and God himself may not be the same thing. Very often we spend our lives... In relationship with our concept of God, and we are intimate with our concept of God because it gives definition to who we are. And one of the places that surprises us and sometimes shocks us is when we come face to face with the reality that my concept of God and God Himself are not necessarily one and the same things. We have a church. And in many instances, what's ended up happening is that people have come face to face with the reality that their concept of God and God himself were not the same thing. And you know what they did? They pegged their tent right where they were. They put themselves down in their understanding. They got comfortable and they got established in their concept of God. But he kept on moving. It's called... Church division, church splits. If you turn around, we've got a whole bunch of different denominations. Where did denominations came from? People who put their pegs down. People who got to the place where they sat and said, I've got definition. I understand God in the entirety that I need to. I have all the revelation and all the understanding that I need. Put the pegs down because we're not moving any further forward. Part of the reason that we have so many denominations, part of the reason that we have so many Christians who are stuck in different places is because we came out of Egypt and we got into the wilderness, but we never reached the promised land. And what we ended up doing is we're pegging our tent somewhere. What God wants us to know is that our journey with him is is called a journey for a reason. <clears throat> and when we recognize and we appreciate, when we value and we have a fundamental concept and understanding of the expansiveness and the magnitude of God, we'll never put our tent down because we know I never reach that place where I know everything. I never reach that place where I have full revelation and understanding of who God is and how he works and the way he does it and who he does it works and how he's getting. We never reach that place. And so it introduces us to the reality and the truth that we need to adopt an attitude and a disposition of humility that says I need to move forward in relationship with truth because he's going to do some stuff that may shock me. He may do some stuff that's controversial and you'll miss the birth if you're not paying attention. He's wanting to do some stuff. I'm telling you this because God is in the process of moving. And he's moving nationally and he's moving globally. The way that we've known church and the way that churches used to be is not the way that it's going to be in the future. And what it looks like and what it sounds like and the people God may use may shock us. And unless we're at a place where we are living in relationship with truth, we'll miss it. Don't get your pegs put down Don't put your tent down And get established where you are Understand that you're running a race There's no place for a tent When you're running a race Running a race means I was here. This is where I was. But tomorrow this is where I'll be. I'm moving on from where I was and I'm moving into something new. God is moving you in a direction. God is taking you somewhere. And part of where he's taking you is to a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding, and, a more, and more of a revelation of the expansiveness of who he is. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. When God begins to move and God begins to change, uh, act. It may be unsettling for us, and it may be something that both shocks us, but at the same time, it leaves us with a sense of wonder. It will shock you because it will dislodge your sense of certainty. It will shock you because I was so confident that this is the way that God behaved. I was so confident this is what God does. I was so confident that God would never do something like that. That God would never use a person like that. And all of a sudden I'm shocked. Because what I thought was so certain suddenly begins to wobble a little bit. And I'm full of wonder. Because suddenly I can recognize him moving. So I find myself straddling two divides. I'm trying to hold on to my certainty. I'm trying to hold on to what I know. But at the same time I recognize a God who's doing something out there. And I'm attracted to who he is and what's happening. God understands. our need for certainty and our penchant for predictability. And in that space, he will always come and he's going to make room for himself. And when he starts to make room for himself, what he's saying is, I want to introduce you to a part of me that you don't know. I want you to get to recognize something within me that you've never seen before. And the way that he does it is he begins to erode our certainty. He puts inside of us and inside of our situations and circumstances something that is divine. And all of a sudden it begins to chip away at my certainty. He Jesus did it with the religious rulers of his day. That's what he did. Everywhere that he went, he did something that chipped away at what the fundamental structure was. Every time he did something or how he did something or where he did something or when he did something was designed to interrogate your sense of certainty. You don't heal on the Sabbath. Unless you're Jesus. The problem that they had. Was that they found themselves at a place where they were so fastly clinging to their sense of certainty. And yet they could see the miraculous in operation. And they couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny it. And they were sitting, saying to themselves, But this can't be. Because the God that we were expecting and what the Messiah was supposed to look like was not supposed to be like this, was not supposed to look like this, was not supposed to behave like this. And in fact, he's doing something that is totally, totally unacceptable. He's starting a spiritual kingdom. And we were expecting him to start a natural kingdom. All the way through, he was interrogating and he was eroding parts of their sense of security. Why? Because what he was saying to them was, I'm offering you an opportunity to step beyond the confines of your stability and your certainty. And I'm creating opportunity for you to step into potential of who I am. Some people couldn't take it because they knew. But they were in a society that didn't always condone it. So what ended up happening was they came to Jesus by night. And what did they say? They said, Jesus, I recognize you as who you say you are. Tell me, how do I step outside of my certainty? And how do I step into potential? Tell me how I get rid of the restrictions and the boundaries that have kept me in this place. Because I see life over there and I'm looking to step out of my certainty and I'm wanting to step into possibilities. When God begins to work with us and God begins to do something with us. It's very hard for us to get to this place where we feel comfortable because what ends up happening is I'm still working with my concept of who God is and I'm still trying to deal with my concept of who God is and because I confuse my concept with God and God himself, what ends up happening is when my concept of God suddenly starts to erode, I begin to question my faith. Why? Because I wasn't at a place where I was able to divorce my concept of him and who he was. Have a look at Gideon. The story of Gideon is all about somebody who found themselves at a place where he's out and he's threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding because the Midianites are after him. And what ends up happening, an angel comes in and the angel says to him, Gideon. He finds him in a place where his sense of certainty is being eroded. But the angel doesn't speak to his uncertainty. The angel speaks to his potential and says, man of valor. Because when God comes into our insecurity, he's going to take us somewhere. He doesn't speak to our insecurity. He doesn't leave us in our insecurity. He takes us somewhere. And when the angel begins to speak to him, because Gideon is at a place where his very concept of God and his certainty of who God is and how God was supposed to operate was all of a sudden wobbling, what does he begin to do? He doubts his faith and he says to the angel, well, if we really had God and God was on our side, we wouldn't be in this situation. Well, if God was really for us, then God would never have let the Midianites come in and do what they did. Well, what about all these miracles that I hear about all the other people doing all kinds of stuff? Why don't we see those miracles? No, no, none of you have ever said that. (laughs) But when God begins to work in our life and he begins to unsettle us a little bit. And he begins to take us to a place that he wants us to be. Don't confuse your concept of God with who God is. Because you see our uncertainty... And our place of moving to a a, a new realm and being introduced to a new place in who God is doesn't create insecurity in God. We may be insecure and we may be wobbling, but he's sitting there saying, it's okay, I'm fine. I'm not wobbling. I'll be with you. I won't forsake you. Trust me. Come with me. I want to introduce you to something that you've never known before. I want you to see a part of me and I want you to discover a part of me that you have never known before. But the only way that I could get you there is by getting rid of all of those things that used to define the boundaries of your life so that you can begin to step into freedom and walk into something new with who I am. This message is in two parts. Ah, this is the commercial break in the middle. <laughs> you, you'll get part one today, Christmas in between, part two the next time, and you get Christmas sandwich. Joseph is at a place and he's having a look and he's trying to define what's going on with his life. And he's trying to understand what's happening with it. Because I was a good man. Because I was a righteous man. Because I'm a person who lives and a person who has integrity. And I find myself in this situation all of a sudden. And I don't really understand it. I thought Mary was the one for me, God. You gave me such a sense of peace that this is what it was supposed to be. And I don't understand it now. She's come to me with the story. And I've heard all about that. And God meets him and God begins to speak to him. And God begins to talk to him. And God says to him, let me tell you a little bit about her conception. And let me tell you a little bit about the seed that's growing on the inside of you. And suddenly he begins to understand. And suddenly he begins to recognize the bigger picture. You see, when God walks into our circumstances and our situations, when God walks into your insecurity, God isn't there with the intention of creating a people who are predictable. And he's not intent on creating a people who are secure. He's intent on creating a people who are amazed. John chapter 5 and verse 20. I'm reading out of the Passion. It says, because the Father loves the Son so much, He always reveals to me everything that He is about to do. And you will be amazed when He shows me even greater works than what you've seen so far. God isn't trying to create people who are predictable. He's not trying to create people who are certain. He's trying to create people who are amazed. What should characterize our relationship with God is amazement. If we're walking through life and we're never amazed, we have to sit and say, am I living too tightly in my confines and my certainty? I think for many of us, we've been at that place for a long time. But you know what? God's wanting to make himself known. And God's at a place where he's pushing us a little bit. God is at a place where he's putting into our life and our circumstances and this nation and the church. He's injecting a little bit of divine dis-ease to move us to a place where we're uncomfortable with where we are. He's pushing us out and pushing us a place to a place beyond our certainty, to a place where we are uncertain. Why? Because he's saying in that space, when you move to the place beyond the realm that you can define where you think you know me and how I am and how I'm going to react, I'm going to Move you to a place where you may feel uncertain and you may feel uncomfortable and you may feel insecure, but you're going to experience wonder. You don't experience wonder living in boring. The church has become boring. We feed people to make them fat, (laughs) (laughs) but the world looks at us and the world isn't impressed. I'm telling you this message because things are changing. I'm telling you this message because for the last little while, and it's happening more and more frequently and with greater and greater pace, living faith is moving to a different place. And it's not going to be a place that's going to be defined by people who are comfortable. It's not going to be defined by people who have a preconception as to what church is all about. It's not going to be defined by people who want to walk into a space where they recognize exactly what the flow is going to be and follow the formula and sing the song because I like it, but not that one because I don't. Who don't pay attention to the offering and say amen three times to the three points that they liked it with somebody else. It's going to change. It's going to change and it's going to take us to a place where you may be. But you're going to be amazed. If you leave church amazed. You won't sit there worried about your predictability. You won't worry about the fact that I'm insecure. Because I counted amazement. We don't get to amazement when we live in security. The invitation to you is this. Whatever your journey has brought you to wherever place you find yourself today celebrate it it is good but don't get comfortable there if you are secure and you are predictable and you're living in certainty make a quality decision that are moving beyond those boundaries Make a commitment to him that sits and says, it's more important for me to be amazed by you than to be certain about who you are. Christmas was a good time because Christmas was a celebration. Where God catapulted everything that we knew of him. Everything that we understood of him. Every concept that we had. And Satan said, you know what? I'm going to throw it all into insecurity. Now what do you want to do? (laughs) And he's been that way ever since. We have the Holy Spirit with us. To guide us into all truth. He's not doing any guiding if we're not moving. We can't be guided when we tent is up and pegs are in. He's guiding us somewhere. Why? Because God wants us to be introduced to amazement. He wants to amaze us with who he is. We need a congregation that experiences amazement. We need a world that experiences amazement. We need a nation that experiences amazement. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in the doctrine. What's going to influence them is the amazing. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you so yeah. Marianne, pray for us. Woo! Rafa's hogging the microphone.
1: Sorry. Father God... We sit here today together knowing that you are far beyond one season of the year, that you take the spirit of what Jesus' birth is, was, and continues to be in our life, and that is the birth of amazement throughout our experience, and our relationship with you, Father God. I thank you for this message that you're waking us up and reminding us that you are so much more than a story in a book, that you are so much more than the birth of a baby, but you are the birth of every good and perfect thing that you have put in each one of our hearts, each one of our individual hearts sitting in this room right now, that through these hearts and through the amazement that you bring us, you are birthing things into this world. You are birthing things into this world. And so I just thank you right now, Father God, we all thank you for this time of year, but it's not this time of year. It's all the times that we get to come and celebrate you, Father God. And I thank you that we don't allow this message to just end now. And then we go about our business and we do our traditions like Pastor Gavin said, but that we allow the amazement every day in all the different moments that you have for us, that we will continue to be amazed by everything that you are. And that when you rock up, and you wobble us, that we will take that and we will allow ourselves to grow and to be amazed. In Jesus' name, amen.